my humble submission is that you need to have a, a North Star. You need to have a process. Every single thing that I do is to fade and or capitalize on some predictive nature of what has become what I call the machine. The machine includes everything that you said, you know, ostensibly, and everything that's going to be because every single day we learn something new. Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast featuring the icons and entrepreneurs of technology, commodities, and finance, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we examine the questions, are we facing a crisis of information or a crisis of trust? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? Welcome back to A Smarter Way on Smarter Markets. I'm Dave Greeley, Chief Economist at Abex Technologies. Our guest today is Keith McCullough, founder and CEO at Hedgeye. We'll be discussing the lessons of FTX and the state of financial advice on traditional and social media. Hello, Keith. Welcome to Smarter Markets. Thanks for having me, David. It's good to good to be with you for the first time on, on the other side. Yeah, yeah. I got to be on your show last November, and it was great. We had a real conversation on Hedgeye. We were talking about the energy transition. I you know, had a great conversation with you. Really appreciate having been on your show. I'd hate to say the energy transition was overshadowed at that point in time, but of course, a lot of the big news in November was uh, the implosion of Sam Bankman-Fried's cryptocurrency exchange, FTX. And I remember at the time, you were getting a lot of well-deserved credit for being in front of that big market event. And while you know Sam was on the cover of Forbes in October, you had had short seller Mark Cahotes on your show in September, where he was calling out FTX as a scam. And I'd like to pick up our conversation there. You know, I've read that you created Hedgeye to provide, you know, hedge fund quality research to everyday investors who typically have to rely on brokers or traditional and social financial media for investment ideas. And one thing that struck me coming out of the FTX collapse was that there was, you know, a spectacular failure of due diligence, both among professional investors and the financial media. You know, there was really a failure to conduct what would seem like the most basic financial research. So I'm curious, you know, in your opinion, what happened there? <laughs> well, the the mother of all bubbles happened. I, I guess we could start with that. I mean, we end up it, a lot of these things, especially when it comes to a lack of oversight, due diligence, doing your work. I mean, largely has to do with greed on Wall Street. You know, people you know hurrying or trying to get things through the door. And as you know, you know, David, especially, you know, at the end of it, people are just trying to get that next deal. So whatever it was, I, you know, I, I'll never be able to pinpoint every single person and every single action or lack thereof when it comes to actually, you know, doing the due diligence on something like this. Because like you said, I mean, it's egregious, it's beyond, it's disgusting, it's, it's beyond anything that anybody that's been in the business for as long as you and I have would even be able to imagine, really. I mean, it was, it was almost surreal. But, you know, the mother of all bubbles, as I like to call it, was based on, you know, the confluence of, of free money from both the fiscal side or the government side and, and from the Fed. And you ended up with like a 12 and a half, almost year over year percent GDP growth rate. So rainbows, puppy dogs, unicorns, crypto, whatever, believe this guy on his futon, you know, in the Bahamas is, is the second coming of Christ. I mean, I'm a Rome, please don't cancel. I know you won't because you're, you're, you're Irish too. But, you know, I, like, I mean, this is not Jesus Christ. This is not uh, JP Morgan. This was a fraud. Yeah. And, you know, the, a fraud that was really missed by, you know, not only a lot of professional investors, but the financial media. I know you received a lot of credit afterwards for your coverage of FTX with Mark Cahotes. 
And why do you think, you know, he was out there banging the drum pretty loud. Why do you think the traditional financial media wasn't listening? And was that like a one-time thing? Or do you think that's a structural problem we have in how we cover these markets? There are definitely structural problems. Uh, one being the most obvious is conflict of interest. And, you know, the you know, people were getting paid. I mean, there's, you know, whether it's directly being paid or the advertising slots that they were paying to support the networks. I mean, in the case of, you know, what I affectionately call rearvision.com, I mean, the, the whole th- the whole shooting match was about promoting and pumping all types of crypto crap. I mean, there's there's the compensation is generally the motive for both uh, the fraudster and those who support it. I tweeted it many, many times. Uh, fraud supports fraud. I mean, I, if fraud is paying everyone and they're not frauds, I don't know how you completely disentangle yourself from that from a, a moral compass perspective or an integrity, professional integrity perspective. I think it's, it really gets down to just that very basic conflict of interest that people are getting paid. And they're, you know, when people are getting paid, they sometimes get paid to be willfully blind. Mm. And like, I was curious as well, like, did you find that there was pressure for being someone saying that, you know, the emperor has no clothes when it came to FTX? Like, is there a, I mean, short selling's hard, being the one who stands against the tide is hard. Did you, did you find that there was pressure not to, not to be talking about these issues? For me, no. I mean, uh, I'm fortunate because I have my own media and content platform, right, David? And you do too here. And I think it's one of the most important and liberating things for both you and I or anybody who aspires to be a free market libertarian or not. I mean, somebody who's a truth seeker, I think that if you could just do that, then there's really no pressure. I mean, if you go back and watch that tape, I mean, there was no, if I appeared to have any pressure, I certainly didn't feel to have any pressure with Cahotes. It was a free flowing F-bomb dropping conversation. (laughs) And I just, it was a very typical, like I I shouldn't say typical, it it was atypical in terms of the conclusion, but it was typical free flowing conversation like you and I had in a real conversation at Hedge ITV that can go anywhere. It goes all the way back to, I mean, I had a, I actually, ironically enough, but maybe not so much, I had, you know, who I call the maestro sailor for MicroStrategies, I had him on Hedge ITV. Yeah. Um, so this goes all the way back to him telling me that my models were going to be destroyed. And I, Keith, you have to believe in something. And I kept saying, yeah, I believe in gravity. Like I believe in like the quads or, you know, the cycle. And that, you know, when this speculative mania, you know, comes to an end, it's going to be because the economy is slowing and profits are slowing. And, and this ends the same way all the time. So whether it's Michael Saylor or it's, um, you know, who's, I don't know. Let's. I don't know, think we need to get into whether or not you know he's a fraud on the scale of Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't think that that's even remotely close. Um, he's an evangelist, and the pressure really, if there was one, but I kind of like it because I'm a bit of an antagonist, as you <laughs> probably noticed. <laughs> is it like it was on Twitter? I mean, that's where it all came from. I mean, people come at me all the time, but this was a heavy pipe of, I guess, sailor smoking the pipe, but um, on of like hornets and cyber hornets and you know, anonymous things and people and bots. And you, there's a pretty heavy, pretty heavy dose of that, but I, I can handle it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that line about you got to believe some things. There's, there's an old line about um, the trouble of people who've lost their faith isn't that they believe nothing. It's that they'll believe anything. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that, isn't that it? I mean, when you really boil it down to the marketing message, like HODL or maxi, Right. It's as old as Wall Street gets. That's why I called Wall Street and you know, old Wall Street 2.0 what Real Vision became, because it's quite literally, if you're willing to believe it and hold it, then yeah, let's just tell each other that it's true. <laughs> but like like anything else, I mean, what's interesting is 
a lot of money was made on the way up too, right? Like it's it's yeah. hard to tell people that they're wrong or it's not going to end well, or, you know, you've seen this play out before and it ends in tears when everybody else is getting rich. Um, yeah. And you have a very, as you said, like you've got your process, you've got your framework, you've got your quadrants. Like how important is that to resist the feeling of like, you know, maybe I'm just not the one who's not getting it. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be clear, I was long crypto all the way through, all the way up into the top of the bubble. I got out in December. I didn't get out perfectly at the top. Of course, Bitcoin and not ironically, Bitcoin peaked on the same day as the Russell 2000. So, so you know, back to the process, like I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a, a valuation purist. I'm not a hodler. I'm not perma anything. I buy assets and asset classes that fit the profile of the rate of change of the economy. And when the rate of change of the economy is accelerating, which is either in quad one or two, then I'll buy pretty much anything. You could tell me a story and I'd, I'd be willing to believe it for not an infinite amount of time. But, but uh, yeah, I, that's what Wall Street is and what crypto became is just epic storytelling, right? And then when the economy starts to slow, in particular, when you hit what we call quad four, when both the rate of change of growth and inflation are slowing at the same time at this, and therefore profits are slowing at the same time, things like profitless tech, crypto, anything that's on that speculative side, you know, crashes. That's the history of markets. And that's, I don't just believe that, you know, just because I need to believe in something, <laughs> to use sailor's <laughs> words, but I believe that because that back tests as the link between the rate of change of economic history and the speculation of markets. Warren Buffett's thing about with the tide going out. And I guess quad four is definitely a time when the tide goes out on a lot of things. <laughs> it did in a hurry. And you don't want to, like, it's too bad that CNBC has changed kind of how people think of Buffett, his teachings, Munger. But, you know, like, I, you know, I did my senior thesis on Buffett in college. And I, I always found it was interesting that he always started with risk management, even though he didn't call it Berkshire risk management. But, you know, rule number one, don't lose money. And I really think that that's the point. I often use the mountaineering example of Ed Vistier's, Ed Vistier's, rather, Vistier's is how you pronounce it. He's climbed more of the big ones than, than most and, and mo most importantly, gotten back down. Like that's the analog I use is mountain climbing. Like anyone can get to the top. You know, it gets harder and harder the higher you go. And that's optional. Getting down, that's mandatory. And, you know, that's the lesson of Buffett. That's the lesson of drawdowns. If you lose 70% of, of your money in something, you got to be up 233% to get back to break even. I mean, that for me is no bueno. So I don't care what it is. If it ticks and I'm, I'm long it, the number one thing to do is not have, never mind, you know, 70, 80, 100% drawdown. It, it, like 20 to me would be like devastating from a reputational perspective, embarrassing from a professional perspective, and just something that I, I will not do. I know you give out, you know, a lot of good advice. What's what's the place where you would tell an investor if they want to adhere to that philosophy of preserve the capital, make sure you get back down the mountain? What's the best place to start where they're thinking about their own investments? For me, I mean, it, there's a series of books that I think you need to have as your base pack. So let's just kind of stay with the mountaineering example or analog. I think you need to appreciate the nonlinearity of markets. I think you need to start with something that isn't, never mind Wall Street, it's business school, it's linear econ, it's my own education for God's sake. You know, I have a BA in economics from Yale and you know, 90% of what I learned there, I would never do in markets. I mean, Bob Schiller's class on mean reversion, long-term mean reversion and cycles. Yeah, that'll do that. And he's well regarded, I think, as a, as a function of that. But I think the misbehavior of markets by Mandelbrot, even though it's a difficult read if you're new to it, is critical. 
I think thinking fast and slow is critical. So you have a behavioral overlay to what you do, have an ability to fade your feelings, fade bubbles, et cetera, et cetera. There are a bunch of books that we put up on the site as a base pack. We also have Hedgeye University that explains the quads because what you're really trying to do, and, and it's hard if you start without a foundation, like reading and giving yourself a real, real fighting chance at the foundation of why rates of change matter, why they are causal. Then once you can get closer to, okay, when a quad four is coming, that is, to use again the analog, that's the avalanche. I will not, even if the probability has risen from 3% to 13%, I'm not going to take that chance. I'm going to stay in my tent today. And I, and I think that that's a real important thing to do. So we tr- we've tried and we're going to keep trying. As you know, you know providing like educational content is pretty hard, but we've worked on it quite a bit. And a lot of that, I mean, most of that stuff on our website is free. That's fantastic. And I know you spend a lot of time putting out the education on social media. I mean, you said earlier that was a rough, it's a rough neighborhood out there on <laughs> financial Twitter. <laughs> and I mean, a lot of, like a lot of professionals, they won't touch it, social media with a 10 foot pole. Like they don't, they don't want to be there. And I'm curious, you know, first, like, why do you go there? And two, like, what's your experience with it been? Well, to my lovers and my haters on Twitter, just let, let me say, may, may you never meet. But, <laughs> but, but for the haters, I mean, they picked the wrong Canadian hockey player, I guess, because I, like I like to scrap a little bit. I like, to get, yeah, I like to fight a little bit. And I think what my experience, I'm beyond grateful, I got to say, for Twitter as a content platform, YouTube, all the different things that we've had, because Hedgeye wouldn't exist if we weren't able to communicate in real time. And most importantly, build our community in real time. And have the community, which you and I talked quite a bit about, have the community be able to engage and debate in real time. And that community involves your haters. You know, that's the whole point about having some bad dudes in your neighborhood or some frauds in your neighborhood. You know, my dad was a firefighter for 38 years. You know, you got to like, we need the police, we need the firefighters, we need, I think we need Hedgeye risk management. The whole point of Hedgeye, you know, the eye component is that we want to have our eyes on everything and give a, a fighting chance to people to, to see it objectively as opposed to within the lens of the conflict of interest. So for me, again, sometimes you got to, you got to get in a fight to prove your point. And sometimes you have to have people say something that is categorically incorrect by any historical measure, which I think is a huge opportunity, David, on Twitter is to just say, well, that's 100% not true. And because you believe it doesn't make it true, right? So, you know, we do a lot of that on Twitter as well, which is a lot of fact checking. Yeah. And that's so important because there's so much put out that's spoken with great confidence that does turn (laughs) out to be wrong. And so being able to give a real time fact check, but I love, you know, that you brought it back to the community because that's one thing that a lot of these platforms really help you create, which is a gift. You know, that, I mean, I, you know, worked on Wall Street a long time and you become very dependent on all the access that working in a big bank can give you. But be able to get that directly with people is something that did not exist early in my career. So it's really a a great opportunity. Well, isn't that amazing? Like, if you don't mind me saying, like, because when you and I, we were both in the seat, right? Like, unlike a lot of, like, as I affectionately call posers on Twitter or backer tourists that have never played the game at any institutional level. They've never run other people's money. They've never been in the seat, but they know everything, which is great. They don't have a name. They don't, they know it all. And and you and I don't know anything, uh, according to them. But you know, there's also the dynamic, if you were in the seat, you appreciate that the buy side in particular, it's well, the sell side and the buy side. I mean, these are tough places to work. Not everybody wants you to succeed on your team because they want your seat. They want your capital. They want your title. I mean, so the community I find on Twitter, in particular, if they're of the, 
the bullish side of the community or the people that support you. Like if I spell a word wrong, David, if I <laughs> use it in the wrong tense, if I have the wrong country, they'll immediately correct me. And I want to be corrected. I don't want to be like, I had enough issues with my SAT score going back to college. I, I, I want to get a better score. Like if, if the community helps me get it less wrong faster, awesome. And it, back in our old seats, that was not the case. You sit in, in many ways, we sat, you, you sit alone. <laughs> not a lot of feedback. <laughs> Oh, that's rough. Yeah, my my experience. I was more research, so my experience was a little bit different in that. I remember that there was nothing that would be an education like going down and not knowing a lot about commodities when I was new and getting a bunch of seasoned J. Aaron traders telling me how little I knew about commodities. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's great. I mean, it's, it's it's you only learn by making mistakes and or somebody telling you that you're making one. And the faster we can make close that loop, the the better the less bad will be. Let's just put it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when I went to Bridgewater with Ray's, you know, focus on transparency to me, it always called me back to, you know, if I'm going to be wrong, I'd rather somebody tell me before I lose a lot of money. Like It can be harsh <laughs> to tell you you're wrong, but it feels worse to lose a lot of money. It feels worse to put out a research report where you say something stupid. So like, hey, guy sitting next to me, uh, let me know if I'm if I'm being an idiot. But I want to ask you, you know, about, you know, as we said, you know, it can be a rough neighborhood on social media as well. And in the wake of the collapse of FTX, you know, you called out a number of other prominent personalities and providers of investment ideas on social media, some professionals, some, you know, individuals. What led you to do that? I was one, I guess I was, even though I'm quite critical of some of these people, you because know, at least for me, when I see somebody who's you know, a bullshit artist or somebody who's not being open and honest with people on Wall Street. I have a pretty, at least in my own mind, a, a high level of conviction that I know what I'm looking at and listening to, right? For some of these people to be explicitly and financially tied to Sam Bankman fraud the way that they were even surprised me. I mean, and we're talking specifically about Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful or Unwonderful, and Anthony Scaramucci. I mean, he's the mooch. It's like, really, guys? And there's no, I, I guess there's responsibility and recommendation, which is lacking across the board there or any due diligence, but there's a huge conflict of interest and we're really not willing to be accountable to that. To me, that really got me going, as you could tell on Twitter, you know, so, or Pompliano, this guy, you know, this character who's was pumping all this stuff, all these different crypto schemes. I, I just had to do it, man. I was like, I've seen enough, I've had enough. And you know what? My community, at least the, the one that, I, that, that I'm fortunate to be part of, they supported that. So the more they did, the louder I got. Yeah, it's hard because if there's, if there's no you know, regulatory policeman on the beat for people who haven't been around the block as many times as, as you have and might not recognize what's true or see the conflicts, there's not an easy way for them to, to know the difference. No. It's not like they start on CNBC with Mooch and Mr. Wonderful with the questions that I'd be asking them. I mean, that's not, it's just, and so we're just, we're going to speak truth to power. I don't consider those, those powerful people, by the way. I just, I, I think that we're at a very interesting time. If you ask our, my partner and our chief demographer, Neil Howe, this is the fourth turning. Uh, the fourth turning is, is a generational turning. It's where the establishment uh, who has had infinite power in some cases has, starts to lose it. They lose it through the lens of respect and then they lose it entirely. And I, I really do think I can see it every day. I've been living it on Twitter since the beginning of Twitter. <laughs> it's there, man. And it's game on. I'm not trying to be mean to people. I'm trying to be just like I would 
in a hockey rink, if somebody hit somebody from behind and somebody outright was not accountable to that, then there's a way to make people accountable for that. You know, they're referees, there are other players on the ice, and we're going to protect the people. So for me, that, that's mostly the point in principle. And when we look, I wanted to ask you about what lessons you were taking away from the collapse of FTX. And I'm curious, maybe is it, is it also a, a, you know, a, a milestone in this fourth turning that you just brought up? Well, I, I do. I think that in any speculative mania, I mean, the fourth turning is generational demographic. This was what was born out of all of it. I mean, you have both political parties, you know, baby boom generation. I'm not trying to offend people that are the baby boom generation. My dog's name is Boomer, for God's sake. <laughs> um, but, you know, you have both parties have signed off on all of this money printing and nonsense. You know, debt is good. Risk is free. So whether, you know, whether it was whether it's Biden or it was Trump, you can go down the line. I mean, it, you know, every Federal Reserve head going back to post Paul Volcker, I, I think that it, it was always going to end in the mother of all bubbles, I, I suppose. In the beginning, I'd, I'd, like an idiot, I would short bubbles. Once you realize you're in one, now why don't you just ride it on the long side and then short it as it's popping? I mean, the, these things were all born out of the same thing. And I think that I guess that's the one thing when I think about like how I guess um, I, I, I'd, say I'm, I'd say I'm adequately bearish. Um, but you know, of all the things that I'm most bearish about, that I have the highest level conviction about is that those chickens have come home to roost and phase one of the bear market, we're into phase three now, but I, you know, phase one was blowing that up and revealing the crypto bubble for what it was or profitless tech or SPACs, or you can go down the line. There's so many different bubbles within the bubble or concentric circles inside the bubble. It's getting harder to count, but that's, that's what I think. So we've got the, the cyclical aspect of this, the quad four aspect, we've got the, long-term trend with the, the fourth turning type episode. And I wanted to shift gears a bit because, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do on this particular podcast series is look for some better or smarter ways to deal with some of the chronic issues and markets and, you know, kind of using the FTX episode as a springboard. You know, one of the things that I find most frustrating about the whole episode is that, you know, it wasn't a new thing. You know, it might've been in the crypto space, but what we saw was things we've seen happen over and over again. And we've talked about, you know, the failures on research and due diligence and media. I'd like to explore some smarter ways for us to approach investing and where we get our investment ideas from. As I said earlier, you created Hedgeye as a way of providing financial research and investment ideas. It's also become a, a major provider of online finance media content. And I'm curious, how do you think about the media content you're providing relative to, you know, what's provided by CNBC or traditional Wall Street? Like, what's the need you saw that you're like, this is needed in this this marketplace and here's how I'm going to deliver it? Well, in the beginning, I don't want to give you like the five hour treatise on this, but I mean, <laughs> in, in, in the beginning, the principal orientation of Hedgeye, like I said, if you could put an eye on or provide, give the world the transparency of a world-class hedge fund process and its research process and compare it to old Wall Street research, which is conflicted and compromised you know, in nature through banking and broker commissions, just to name a few. You know, that's what Hedge I started with because we started as an institutional research business, an independent research provider with no broker dealer, no bank, right? Still to this day, no ad dollars. So you fast forward to today with a media company that's essentially powered by that independent research process and team the media opportunities is much more glaring. I mean, if you 
on Wall Street, let's just start with if you're a fraud, I mean, and you get indicted, you're not going to everybody's going to know that you're not going to have a job in the media. You could last forever. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And, and <laughs> I think that the, the at least the service that I think we provide the community that we're part of. And by the way, the community you know, has built us in as much as we help support them. I think it's true. I mean, is is you know cheesy as somebody might you know think that that is, or since they're so polarized politically that they can't hear it. All I care about is finding the rate of change truth. Like, if something's going to accelerate, we'll know within three to six months if it accelerated. If something decelerates, obviously the same thing. If I say that something's a fraud, it's either a fraud or it's not a fraud. You know, so I I, I think that. And and when I'm wrong, which is frequently, you know, hopefully not on the order of magnitude that people were last year. When I'm wrong, everybody knows it's time stamped. It's a mistake, and and we all learn from it together. And I think that that is the antithesis of the media today. The media is obviously loaded with recency bias, confirmation bias, politics, conflict of interest, and and everybody knows that. That's why we're having a fourth turning, because in the end, I think even the most belligerently polarized people or biased people, you know, if you get them down to their own account and their own family at home, they're probably going to act on the truth. So I think that that's, you know, what, what was a, shouldn't be a small niche, by the way. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I am actually kind of shocked that we don't see more of this, but I guess the business model is, it's hard to recreate. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you a question about the business model, right? Because you've brought up a number of times the really important point of the conflicts of interest that exist for so many. But that's also like those conflicts are a way of getting people paid without having to get direct payment from the customer, I guess. Right. Right. You know, the old Wall Street model, it's kind of incorporated into the, you know, the bid ask or, you know, into the commission as opposed to a, a direct check being paid for the research. And the press, it's how many eyeballs you can get and sell advertising. You know, people don't have a direct subscription. I think you've gone more with a subscription model, but that you got to provide a, a product that people are like, yeah, I'm going to write the check for. How yeah. do you see that? Like, is that the is that the main way to kind of untangle those conflicts of interest? And do people realize that you know you need to pay if you want unbiased? Well, I think in our case, you do. I mean, you, you know, an education uh, you can get for free and learn the hard way. If you, if you listen to Wall Street for all of last year, for example, worst year in the aggregate for stocks, bonds, and crypto in the history of all three. So yeah, I think if you want to see somebody play this game at the highest level, just like in any arena of sport, you're going to pay. And if you want a better seat, you're going to pay more for those better seats. So yes, that's our business model. To be clear, David, this is not, it, it doesn't go without there's a book that I'm just uh, that I just finished reading called Do Hard Things. <laughs> there are a lot of hard things associated with that. We've been paid by Leon Cooperman and fired by Leon Cooperman. Why? Well, because we went negative on Lynn Energy and he was the number one holder of Lynn Energy. And it was a fraud. It was a zero. But he didn't want us to say that. Yeah. So I've been I've been on the other side. Yeah, I I don't want to you know, put out the laundry on everyone, but I mean the fact of the matter is that I could get paid a lot more. Maybe I don't really think about what I get paid. I really, if, in case anybody can, can't tell, I don't really give a shit what I get paid every year. I get paid plenty enough to provide for my family and our firm, and that's what I I care about. I care about like being right in principle with a P L E as opposed to a P A L, and and figuring out what my worth is in this world at the end of the at the end of the numbers in the bank account. So it's not easy, man. Like when fifty percent of the things you make calls on are negative, uh, and a lot of them are right. That's not easy because people will fire you because you're not conflicted. 
And that's a, it's been an interesting part of the journey to see Wall Street from that lens as well. Yeah, I remember after my first couple of years on Wall Street, I remember coming home during comp season and telling my wife, uh, one of the interesting things about working on Wall Street is you can put a dollar value on your ethics because you can see exactly how it impacted your pay at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> uh, and, but I wanted to ask you, you know, because to some extent, investing has become so much more accessible. You know, the technology for people to trade their own accounts, get access to different financial instruments. It's probably never been easier from a technical standpoint for someone to manage their own money and trade. Now, it doesn't mean they have the experience to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, it can be an, an expensive education. But I was also wondering, you know, when you look at who you're trading against, like, you know, someone, not yourself, but you know, just anyone coming into these markets, you're, you know, you're investing in a world of high frequency algorithms, artificial intelligence, deep pocketed and well-connected competitors, professional investment firms that have huge resources, you know, mm -hmm. to do research, to track what's happening in the economy. And so for the small investor who's enthusiastic about markets and wants to handle some of their own money, actively participate and navigate markets safely, you know, how do they do that without getting taken advantage of? Well, you're, you're quite right. I mean, they, and they've been taken advantage of in many more ways than they, they are from a technical perspective you know, back then than they are today. I mean, if you're getting hosed with commissions or you're getting you know, like every single execution is a massive commission, I mean, going all the way back, obviously, you know, the game has changed materially in terms of both technology, execution costs, to name those two very important ones. My humble submission is that you need to have a, a North Star. You need to have a process. You need to have a process that acknowledges everything that you just said. Every single thing that I do is to fade and or capitalize on some predictive nature of what has become what I call the machine. The machine includes everything that you said, ostensibly, and everything that's going to be because every single day we learn something new. I mean, right now there, there's a bubble in zero days to expiration or ODTE options. I mean, it's north of 50% of the options market expires every day within seven hours or six and a half hours of trading from the open. So now we're dealing with that. We're dealing with who's bullying these options, who's trying to mark, the, who's trying to get these big S&P 500 lines like 4,000 in the S&P to print. While it's never been easier to be an investor, we like to think that we're full cycle investors. We're going to stay all the way, try to stay all the way up. And then when we go bearish, try to stay through the whole way down. Of course, you're never going to nail every top and bottom, but you know, that's our North Star. We look at the game that people are in, while it's the easiest to be a part of the game, it's easiest to lose your money. It's easiest to be sucked in. It's easiest to see your, your pile, whatever that may be, draw down and crash. So it really, you really need to have somebody at the wheel, you know, that, that knows, you know, people use the plane analogies as a soft lining, hard lining, et cetera. Let's just start with who knows how to fly this plane. Okay. So, so that's, you know, I think it's in my own mind, at least, which is the toughest place <laughs> for other people to live. That's the clearest thing I can see is that you need to have not only the pilot, but the process, a support team and something that is consistent and repeatable every day so that you can evaluate something as opposed to what all this noise has become, which is really people with talking points and tweets and theories. And, you know, there's there's no process in that. That's noise. That's what even... You know, the greatest or at least one of the greatest scientists in American history, Richard Feynman, would say, you know, turbulence. Even science hasn't been able to solve for that. So I'm not able to solve for that. 
but I, I do feel that we are able to give people a better process and path to play against that. Yeah. Great advice. And, you know, people definitely need a way to cut through the, the noise to get to the signal. And, you know, one thing I wanted to wrap up with you today is, you know, thinking about this analogy of the pilot, you know, people say, okay, you need a partner, you need a pilot. Sometimes evaluating the pilot is as difficult as evaluating the market. And so, you know, yeah. when it comes down to that, if you got, you know, whether it's a, a listener who's a private individual looking after their own hard-earned money or professional investors, you know, how do you think about evaluating what's coming in from financial media research or other forms of advice? Like, how do you think about who you listen to when you're approaching investing? Well, I, this is why I'm big on it. It's not just, you know, saying what I said about Kevin O'Leary. I mean, it's, it's uh, or Sam Bankman fraud. I have a real hard time believing that you can start answering that question with, oh, it's cool. It's somebody on Twitter without a real name and you can't, no name, no resume, no track record. Like in what world could we start to answer your question, David, without knowing some basic thing? I mean, if you go back to even Cahotes and I, which is what you started with, all we did was we looked back at the people that were involved, who the relationships were what their resumes were. I mean, that's what gave you the most basic level of alarm. I mean, so if you can't start with that, what are you really starting with? You're starting with guru factor, somebody who had a good call on something. And these aren't even somebody's. If you're, it's not their real name, I don't even know. There, there are reasons why our industry, the one that you and I were born in and continue to be in, there's a reason why it's regulated. You know, there's a reason why there are rules. So I think even though that's like a it's, it's ridiculous that you have to say you start with that because the you know, observations are the blazingly obvious by, by me on that. <laughs> it's, it's amazing that what can get you in the most trouble is just that, is just not knowing those things. So again, go back. You know, for me, at least, I use uh, hashtag timestamp. I've timestamp inside of 8,000 different moves, long and short, going back 15 years at Hedgeye. Of course, my old track record um, on the buy side, you know, speaks for itself and it's there. Um, so for me, it's 23 years and counting. I, I love doing it. I also love seeing like, I, lo I love seeing what other people, <laughs> you know, what other people have done. This is a hard game, right? I mean, a, a lot of people aren't around anymore that are my age and your age. Uh, a lot of people are just starting to hit their stride. It's not an age thing, but I think it's a transparency thing and accountability thing. Thanks again to Keith McCullough, founder and CEO at Hedgeye. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Join us next week as we continue our series, A Smarter Way, with guest Liz Hoffman, business and finance editor at Semaphore. We hope you'll join us. This episode was brought to you in part by ABAX Exchange. Market participants need the confidence and ability to secure funding for resource development, production, processing, refining, and transportation of commodities across the globe with markets for LNG, battery metals, and emissions offsets at the core of the transition to sustainability, ABAX Exchange is building solutions to manage risk in these rapidly changing global markets. Facilitating futures and options contracts designed to offer market participants clear price signals and hedging capabilities in those markets essential to our sustainable energy transition. ABAX Exchange, bringing you better benchmarks better technology, and better tools for risk management. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets by ABAX. 
For episode transcripts and additional episode information, including research, editorial and video content, please visit smartermarkets.media. Please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or producer. Smarter Markets, its hosts, guests, employees and producer, Abax Technologies, shall not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on informational viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Thank you for listening and please join us again next week.